I think a lot of people, they tend to go ahead and let that surface level answer be the answer. I don't. You have to ask more questions. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Hebercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm here today with Mason McDonald. I'm your co-host, Dan Habercost, and we have an awesome interview today. Mason, how are uh, how's business going for you? Business is great. Uh, my favorite Fridays are ones where I close on an acquisition and a sale, uh, where my account both drains and then replenishes within a few hours. So it's a, it's a great Friday. It's a beautiful day in Colorado. And uh, we've got a friend and just a fascinating person on the show today. So it's uh, wrapping up to be a great day. How are things with you? Great, great. Uh, business is crazy. Feels like 2021 in Florida, North Carolina, and uh, working on some builds and all kinds of stuff. And to what you said earlier, uh, it's got to be a good guest. If you and I are working at 2 p.m. on a Friday, you know that it's important. Uh, and that brings us to Miss Jen or Mrs. Jen Wei, who uh, both of us have known for a while. But we'll let Jen tell her story. But as a quick overview, Jen has done hundreds and hundreds of real estate deals that she's negotiated herself all over land, housing, commercial buildings, you name it, she's done it. So, Jen, how are you doing today? I am well. I am well. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I, uh, I'm i excited to finally join your podcast. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're excited to talk to you. Uh, and I always remember the first time we spoke, you know, Brent Bowers said, hey, talk to, to my partner, Jen. And I see a 440 number and I go, she's from Ohio too. And we definitely bonded over that and how much we're both happy we're not there anymore. Uh, but yes, absolutely. All that to say, Jen, you know, Again, you've negotiated a lot of deals of all types of assets and seller demographics. You know, what are the biggest takeaways you've gotten from doing this for years and hundreds and hundreds of times as far as the keys to being a successful and effective negotiator? You know, I find that, um, or I think that a lot of people lose sight of this, but I find that we really are in a people business not a property business, land, houses, commercial, it really doesn't matter. Um, this is about people and what is it that we can do to actually help them and uh, finding solutions that, that work for them and help people in their daily lives. Jen, when I first met you, I mean, you're gregorious, you're fun to talk to, like you make everyone feel so welcome. <laughs> and we were just doing business together. Uh, you weren't trying to sell me anything. and I wasn't trying to buy anything from you. Um, but whenever you're talking on the phone with someone and it's going to be a business transaction or it's in person, there's logos, which is logic, pathos, uh, which is emotion and ethos, which is character. Uh, which of these do you feel like you try to play to whenever you're in a negotiation or a business deal, just based on the fact that you just said it's a people business? Um, emotions, definitely. Um, I tell people a lot to, you know, peel on the pain whenever you're talking to somebody, actually figure out what the pain is and peel it back like the layers of an onion. Um, fact is real selling a piece of property, be it 
land our house, you know, improved or not. There is a connection to it. And it's also a pretty big decision. These are usually, you know, pretty, pretty big tickets when it comes to how much is going to cost, right? People are going to be putting profit in their pockets. They're going to use that money for their lives and things. So definitely emotions. Um, I like to say that I'm actually a solution-based salesperson. Find the problem, provide the solution. So if you've yeah. done hundreds and hundreds of deals, so Dan and I, while we were successful in acquisitions, I think neither of us uh, loved it um, quite as much as you did. Um, <laughs> how do you how do you quickly determine what that pain point is? Because sometimes for me, it would take me 45 minutes on the phone with the 80 year old grandma. And I could tell you her family tree back from whenever they sailed over on the Mayflower. How do you kind of find that pain point really quickly? It, this is going to sound kind of silly, but I just ask. All right. I just ask why, why are you selling the property? What is actually going on? Um, I think a lot of people, they tend to go ahead and let that surface level answer be the answer. I don't. You have to ask more questions, right? Well, we'd like to get the cash. Okay. Is there something specific going on that you, you guys need to do with that money? Or are you trying to take a family vacation? Actually figure out why. And I... I I really think it's because a lot of people are uncomfortable asking very direct questions. Um, I know a lot of my students are like, oh, I might offend somebody. And I'm like, listen, they're on the phone with you. You've talked about your days. You've connected with this person. If they don't want to talk to you, they're probably not even have gotten this far. Right? If they've already indicated that this is a conversation wasting both of your time, then cut the conversation off. But if you've gotten this far, then let's talk about why, right? Let me help you. I can't help you unless you tell me what's going on. So, okay, this is something I want to dig into a little bit because this is, you know, it's easy for you, I think, at this point, but I see this all the time. I listen to my acquisition manager's calls. We get on the, the phone or, you know, we get on Zoom together to do some coaching and people will tell her why, but they're, they're still quick. And that initial kind of defense barrier is still up a little bit. And you can't get any real answers from anyone about anything until you get past that. I think Pitch Anything is the book I, I, I really love to reference where it talks about, you know, getting past, I think, the amygdala that's just worried about, is this person trying to take advantage of me? And getting to the frontal cortex where you could actually have a conversation with someone. And that can be hard to do, especially when you're cold calling. So, you know, for all the people doing this out there, Jen, how do you get past that initial barrier to get to the point where they're actually comfortable enough to talk to you because sometimes people come off very abrasive at first, but once you get past it, you realize you could be their solution. So <clears throat> I think what uh, is actually really important is that we realize that people nowadays are really, we're interacting with like technology, right? We're getting screened by AI online real quick. And so a lot of times being just the most human person that they're actually talking to tends to tear down the brick wall. So I know a lot of people who, as soon as they, you know, Hey, this call may come out of the blue. was wondering if you'd like to talk about that property. Yeah, sure. Let's have a conversation. Okay, great. What can you tell me about the property? How about instead you go, okay, great. So how's your Friday going? Are you excited for the weekend? 
just the kind of questions that you would say if your friends call on the phone, right? Mm. How's your day going? How's this going? Just being a human talking to humans and not sounding like you're reading a script, asking them how their day is going. If they say they have plans this weekend, oh, what you got planned? Ask that follow-up question too, right? Everybody answers surface level right away, even when you ask them what they're doing or how their day's going. If you're in Colorado right now, like I am and Mason, right? If you're here, at the, and I know you are too, the first thing I'm gonna say is, hey, are you finally enjoying our taste of fall? Mm -hmm. I know I am. And to connect to people. So for me, I do believe that mostly the trick is actually not using tricks. Mm -hmm. Mostly it's about just saying hello, mm -hmm. right? Build a little bit of rapport. Tell people that it's okay to tell you no. We're here to have a conversation. I, there are some things that I can offer to you. And if at any point this doesn't sound like it's going to be the best thing for you, that's okay. Giving people permission to say no, right? Build that rapport and give them permission to say no. That's how you tear down brick walls. That's huge. That's huge. I, I think I think something uh, Dan and I have chatted about both both on the show and just in business and life in general is there's there's different people that come from different cultures where it's like you think about the the person from Alabama and you compare them to the the businessman from New York. You've got the higher context culture in the south, the lower context culture in the north where it's just tell me tell me what it is. So with that humanizing approach and really kind of focusing on pleasantries first, business next, how do you adapt that approach to Picture the Wall Street guy. How would you change your approach on that, if at all? So I'm not going to necessarily change my approach, but I may not. Uh, I may not do things in the same order. Mm -hmm. I find that if somebody is extremely high tempo, then we can do this for a second. But at some point, I have to bring it back, and we have to get back into my sales presentation because at the end of the day. I need to talk to you about the property. I need to understand what's going on here. So we have to have the conversations. And I mean, I'm going to be honest, if somebody's not willing to have a conversation with me and actually talk about what's going on, I'll offer them $10 and see if they take it. <laughs> right? Because if they're not interested, then that's why they're not going to have a conversation. And if they are, then we are going to. But sometimes you have to be patient. You know, sometimes you have to let somebody go. Um, I might refer to some of these personality types as Mr. Ego, right? Go ahead and take 15 minutes, stroke the ego, compliment them on what, they, what they've been able to accomplish. Talk about how you hope to be there someday, all of these things. But at the end of the day, we all get to decide what kind of salesperson we're going to be, right? What kind of business owner are we going to be? Are we going to be the kind of people who follow a system? and just do things the way that they're designed and actually try to achieve that success by scaling those things? Or are we just going to be willy-nilly, right? Are we going to let them control us or are we going to control the conversation? And I think everybody here knows that if, you don't, if you're not controlling the conversation, you're probably not going to get a deal. Yeah. It, so 
it sounds like the in in summary one of the key things here is you should be asking really good questions absolutely yeah. right why waste why waste your own time and ask questions that aren't good <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> what i'm thinking of is on call rail i can see my acquisition managers how much they spoke versus how much the seller spoke and i want to see okay. that they only did 20 or 30 percent of the talking and the seller did 70 or 80 percent that's what i was alluding to yes i call that creating space for them okay so if you create space by just shutting your mouth they will talk it's that simple uh, one of the old tricks is say your offer and shut up. It's right? so true. He who speaks first loses. Yeah. <laughs> so what that means is that people are uncomfortable in silence. So if you can be comfortable in the silence, then you have a leg up on all of these conversations, right? I, uh, I joke around with my students and I say it in the Bane voice, I live in the silence, right? Like <laughs> it's not, it's not the darkness, right? But I enjoy it when I have nothing to be saying right now and I can just sit and listen and take my notes. And if we need to back up because they've asked me 10 questions, then that's what I'm gonna say out loud. We need to back up. I'm trying to keep up with you. But yes, they should absolutely be talking more than you are. Every single oh, call. Yeah. And we, we love that it's cause it's so uncomfortable when you're not used to it of just being quiet. So go, go watch a movie by yourself, go to a restaurant by yourself, go sit at the bar, go grab a coffee by yourself and get used to just being comfortable by yourself and in silence. And it can, it can kind of help uh, transfer, translate into this space. But Jen, how do you turn a no into a yes? Because I know that you don't just get yeses with every single person that you talk about, at least right off the bat. How would you go about turning a absolute no, I never want to speak to you again, Jen, you're the worst into what ends up being a deal? Because I know you've got at least one or 20 stories about this. Uh, I mean, Jen, you're the worst. I don't know if I, I don't know if I've ever been actually told that much, but I've definitely had people tell me no before. And... I think what the absolutely what the right thing to do right then in there is to make them say no two more times before it's actually a no. That's my rule. Until you told me no three times, there's still a chance. So I might ask, okay, you, you don't want to take the price that I just offered you. Is that because you're not going to sell right now or because my offer is not high enough? Is that because it matters not at all that we close quickly and as is and all the closing costs and take care of title and pay all those costs? And if nothing like this is important to you, well, then I understand. So for me, it's going to be, again, dig into why, dig deeper, ask some more follow-up questions. But I my goal at that point is actually to get them to say it two more times because I need to hear it three. And when I'm asking these follow-up questions, I'm figuring out if maybe there's a different solution. That would be, I think, probably the way you turn no's into yeses is that I didn't get it right, actually. So maybe I can't offer this person the right cash up front. So I might immediately then ask them if they're willing to take a down payment. How about a seller financing option instead? You'd be surprised how many people say yes to that. 
it's uh it, it definitely surprised me when i started asking people and if no then okay then why aren't you just listing this with a realtor right then why is that not what you're doing why are you wasting your own time talking to me and then if that's what we really need to do for them we help them get a good realtor and we help them get the property listed. absolutely yeah but that is that is so effective one of my favorite tools is just saying oh jen it sounds like you should just go list on market and if that is the correct then great we'll help them but a lot of times you see this reaction this visceral reaction where you know oh they really don't want to do that this is our seller avatar mm -hmm. right and so i love those questions those takeaways so that that's a great point there uh but i just wanted to pull that out there mason what yeah were you I, I i think what what you did there is kind of going back to one of the points you made at the beginning of the show is whether it's a home or a commercial building or a piece of land most individuals in the united states have done very few real estate transactions and so you think about it from the standpoint of if you go ask a majority of the country what the minimum down payment on a home needs to be they're going to say 20 percent. if you need to sell a piece of land or a home or a building they're going to say you have to list it with a realtor and so you need to show them hey there are more options than you were made aware. Did you even know you could sell off market? Did you know that was a thing? And I mean, obviously approach the conversation different than that, but we talk a lot about the multiple exit and disposition strategies you get once you acquire an asset, but recognize on the initial acquisition, give that seller the same opportunity for those various um, strategies that you have. So I think, uh, I think that's a really, really smart technique. And if you can blend that personal approach with solving their problems where you've talked about finding solutions for people's pain points that that means you can kill it in this game honestly um when it comes to that exact point talking about you know working with someone with like me versus working with a realtor it also tends to bring it like they they really believe now that oh yeah you're right i have to lower the price for you and if I don't want to do that, then I find a realtor, right? It just starts to make sense to them all of a sudden. I'll oftentimes just pull this education out early in the phone call. Hey, listen, there's a couple of different ways to sell property. I'm going to be at this end. Realtor's going to be at this end. Here are the big differences. What's important to you? That, that right there could summarize the entirety of negotiating. Uh, no BS, straight to the point. Here's our value proposition. Here's what a realtor can do. Depending on your situation, you tell me and pick which one's appropriate. That's about it. Well, you Listen, we all know people are being lot, are sick and tired of just getting a bunch of BS, yes. not really getting answers. Whether you're Republican or Democrat or neither, it doesn't matter. You're sick of all this nonsense, right? You're sick of the no answers, the dancing yeah. around the things. Yeah. So by being that person who's just like, look, this is what I, this is what I can do. These are the kinds of things that we can talk about. I'm, I'm here to help you. If I'm the right solution, great. If not, okay. When you're like that, it almost like the guard comes down immediately because it's so refreshing. No BS. Let's just talk about what's going on. Oh, yeah. Well, Jen, you've you've brought up a few different tactics, but what are some actual key words in a negotiation that you should be using? And let, let's limit the scope of the conversation to acquiring, whether it's a, house, a piece of real estate, 
some keywords you should be using and some keywords you should not be using. Uh, so I do, um, I, I think number one, I never tell people no. If uh, I need to say no, I say, I wish I could. <laughs> I never say no. I wish I could. You know, unless it's, unless it's like something ludicrous and I need to say no. Then yeah, okay, but I wish I could. Um, <clears throat> I also caution everybody from uh, saying that something, like when you're going to make almost an assumptive statement, instead of just stating it, you should use words like, sounds like, feels like, I think what you're saying is, right? Um, those are good ways to actually position those assumptive statements. Sounds like selling this property just as fast as you can is the most important thing to you right now. Instead of saying, so selling the property as fast as you can is important to you, right? It makes them have to actually say, yes, that is what they said. Instead of just saying that your statement is correct. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't tell people no. Um, I do. I, I wish I could. I use sounds like, feels like, uh, what you're saying. Those are definitely some of my replacement words for sure. Those are those are great. Are there any? Sorry to cut you off, Dan, but I'm, I'm bringing up a conversation that uh, Dan and I had with a mutual friend at the gym a few days actually ago, and it's about assumptions. So with your students, um, or I, I guess the conversation, he kept talking about sales and all this stuff and making all these assumptions about these sellers. And we were like, dude, stop. You do not know if you have not clarified what their pain point is or who they are, or what their life is and everything going on, you cannot make an assumption. How do you train your students to not make assumptions about the potential seller that they're working with? Oh, this is so big in my class, guys. This is so big because I think it's one of the hardest things for people to do is to not look through their own yep. eyes, right? So number one, I explained that, that we're not our own avatars, right? So if you try to look through your eyes, you're actually probably wrong. Because you're not the avatar, right? You're not the kind of person you're looking for. So why would your decision-making, why would your opinion be that of that type of person when you're not one of them, right? It's like uh, here where I live, all these city folk making decisions for us farmers. You're not one of us, right? <laughs> so that, I think that's number one, right? We have to realize that we're not the avatar. But here's what I love to explain to everybody. Um, have you gentlemen ever heard of Schrodinger's mm -hmm. cat? Yeah. Okay. Is the cat dead or alive? We don't know until we open the box. So open the box. Ask all the questions. As far as I'm concerned, I know nothing until I have asked the questions, gotten the answers, and actually gone through this, right? We can make a million assumptions, but how are we going to figure out if the cat is dead or alive? We open the box. You're, you're so right. It's just that humans are, I think we forget those of us that are super analytical or super logical, that humans are feeling beings that think, not thinking beings that feel. And 
the more you project yourself onto everyone, the more you're going to lose because you're one in 7 billion. Stop assuming that everyone's like you. Right. That's a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> and this is applicable outside of real estate. Assuming that the whole world sees everything exactly as you do is a uh, poor way to go about life and especially negotiations. So. Absolutely. Yes. I, I realized a long time ago that I'm a little bit different than the rest. So I know they're definitely not like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad you, I'm glad that point came up. That's really, really important. Um, okay. So Jen, you train salespeople, right? You're, you're a master negotiator. Are, Ooh, are there any, that's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah I was say, that's a lot of pressure, but <laughs> well, you know, a few hundred repetitions in and you learn something. Um, is there anything <laughs> that other than what we just hit on that you find consistently that people do wrong, like assumptions that people aren't even questioning or, or phrases they're using or ways they're going about it that is just totally off point. Anything else that comes to mind? Like <clears throat> that people do wrong when they're like speaking with yeah, women, yeah. basically? Um, I think that the number one thing a lot of people do wrong is that they jump to price too soon. Mm. You know, I think that a lot of people make offers uh, because they think that it's, I, I have to make an offer. We got to get to price. That's what's important. I, I think some people make offers before people should be even getting them. Right? If you're not actually ready to sell the property, well, then you're not actually going to get an offer from me. So I think that patience is probably the biggest way to wrap that up. To be patient. Um, it's like dating, right? You can't just lean in and kiss the girl on the first date before the appetizers arrive. We got to put a little bit of work in, right? So we need to ask some questions. We need to figure out what's going on. And then we need to respond appropriately. Not everybody that calls is at the same step in the process. And so not every person that calls is going to get an offer right now. I feel like that's probably the biggest mistake people make is just jumping to the offer too fast. Yeah. And it's, I, I think the more you get to know a person, you can, because too fast for one person might be way too slow for another. And going back to what you said, if you don't get to know the person, you won't know when that timing uh, ends up becoming appropriate. But you, Jen, have a natural ability and natural inclination towards sale, or so it seems. Whenever you bring on a student, um, have you ever encountered a student that just, it, it's not right where it's just too painful or do you think anyone can learn sales? Oh, I think anybody can learn sales. I think for some of us, there's just parts of that process that, that we're not going to really have to learn. Like I already knew how to build rapport with people because I used to be a bartender. I mean, if there's any better place, let me know. But I do feel like when you're at the bar and it's Friday night and people are drinking, it's a really easy way to practice that building rapport, getting people to trust you. I mean, I, I can't tell you the sorts of things people have told me. And I'm like, that was, I didn't need to know that. You didn't need to share it. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> being able to just be, to just be that person definitely came from bartending. So that part was easy for me. But was really hard for me when I first started was shutting up. So hard, guys. It was so hard 
that the only solution I could find for myself was to physically restrain myself from talking by going like this. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta oh, do. Yeah. That's how I learned to shut up. I actually would just smash my hand over my mouth. And guys, real quick, I'm so sorry about the kitties. I'm I'm part-time farmer. So we're <laughs> we're at the farmhouse today and uh, the kitties are out. So no my apologies. apologies necessary. It's you you get to live on a beautiful farm because of the life you've created for yourself. And I think the bartending background is amazing. You get to be uh, one multitasking all the time. You have to be an adult babysitter sometimes, a therapist, a priest, and uh, <laughs> everything in between. And that right there is it's a really delicate balance to walk, to walk. And I think those types of skills are invaluable that you probably gained in that position. I agree. Yeah. Never knew that working at the bar at Dan Marino's down in South Miami, never knew that it would teach me so much for now, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, these things carry over because like you said, it's just human communication. Uh, so to that point, and maybe we'll have to do a follow-up episode at some point and talk through some of the crazy deals you've done, some of the creative financing, that sort of thing. But So Jen, you worked closely with Brent Bowers for years and years as, in a wholesale business. I know all kinds of deals you guys did all over town. Uh, was that your first real estate experience after bartending or was there something in between there? Oh, no. I actually, um, I've worked in so many different types of sales jobs. Mm. Um, I've sold brand new Fords. Mm. Uh, I've done cold home visits where you just show up at the front door mm. and you try to sell people internet. Mm. I've done that. Um, I mean, I've done so many different sales jobs. Uh, I've done inside sales. Uh, I used to sell invisible fence dog collars. Sold those. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a wide variety. Um, but I got into real estate actually in Florida. Um, a friend of mine showed up to the restaurant we were working at. And she showed me her check. She just closed the deal. She had gotten her real estate license and she closed the deal. And she showed me the check and I said, if she can make that kind of money, what could I do? And I got my real estate license. So I was a licensed realtor uh, down in Tampa, Florida for a couple of years. And then when I moved to Colorado, I still had that license, but that's actually when I met Brent. So I was practicing real estate um, down there for a while. I also grew up in a family that ran a construction company. And once I started walking through houses, I realized that that had been teaching me my whole life too. So a lot of experience uh, before I actually started wholesaling up here in the spring. I, I want to hit on that moment, though, for a little bit, because I think so many people get caught up, whether it's in the analysis paralysis or learned helplessness or whatever self-limiting beliefs that they might have from their background, education, culture, whatever it might be. When your friend came up and showed you that check, which I'm, I'm sure you love them to death. What kind of clicked in your brain for you of recognizing, oh shit, I can do that too? Um, because I knew that she was just a waitress like me, right? We both worked at the exact same place serving fancy burgers and french fries. We both had to meet at the exact same time out behind the back door, pre-shift meetings. I mean, we were the living the exact same life. I knew she didn't have any real estate experience. She just went to school and then she went and got things done. 
And I think that when you're that type of person, you just know that about yourself too, right? And so for me, it was just the, do I want to keep working for all these other people? Or am I ready to go ahead and start making something for myself? Um, I, she's a fantastic salesperson too. I'm not going to lie. She's really good. Uh, we were, at, we were the type of like bartenders and waitresses that would actually upsell the liquors, right? You don't need bottom shelf. You need a top shelf because we knew that we would get bigger tips if they had bigger bills. Like that's how it worked. So I think just, I, I knew that about myself. Right. And I knew that if she could go to school and figure it out, why can't I? What is it about me? There's nothing about me that's going to stop me. That's beautiful. I mean, because comparison can be the thief of joy, or it can be this recognition of if they can, if they can do it, why not me? She's way sloppier at side work than I am. And uh, I, I probably can drop a better contract than her. So that, that that's cool. And I, I really want people to hear Jen's story right there and recognize just look around, like whether it's starting a business or doing real estate, like the three of us aren't geniuses by any means. Um, and go walk past a strip mall, see how many crazy businesses there are out there that exist and are probably decently successful. So if we can do it, why not you? Yeah, no. Like you guys, I was gonna say, like you guys said earlier, there's a lot of people on this planet, which means there are a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. Find what speaks to you. Run towards it. Yep. Yep. So, all right, you did those miscellaneous sales jobs, bartending, so on and so forth, and then you were a realtor for a bit, and then ultimately you and Brent op did the wholesale operation for quite a while, and I think that was a big part of your experience. So, I mean, wh what did that look like? Were you handling the beginning then negotiation of all the deals? How, how did that work? Yeah, so when we first started, Brent was actually uh, still full-time military. And needed somebody who could actually talk to people during the day and had some of that experience. Um, and honestly, I feel like Brett and I were a match made in heaven. He didn't have the time to do all of that, but he had already started a business and I didn't have money to start a business, but I had a bunch of time. So I was able to invest what I had. He was doing what he could. He worked on the business while I worked in the business. So yes, I would take the phone call. Um, get properties under contract, and then go through the disposition process and follow them to the closing table. After a couple of years, he uh, he opened his heart to flipping houses. And so we started doing flips too. And then we started getting into the bigger multifamily. Um, we're even involved in a townhome development, ground up right there off Academy Boulevard in Colorado Springs. Um, so the business grew over time. We added more people to the team so that I wasn't having to handle everything from start to finish. And, um, but because everything was a system and this is how it got done, it was very easy to add people and go ahead and ramp up the marketing and scale the business. And I think at a certain point, um, maybe the growth of it, you know, everything, everybody gets to a point where you're like, okay, we have all these things and you have to rein it back in, but we expanded and really opened ourselves up to lots of different types of investing. To your point about systems, mm -hmm. what technology do you use both in, in that business or any business as far as real estate sales that helps you stay on top of your leads and ultimately be a better salesperson? So I don't know that I would say that there's any, uh, you know, CRM that's going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. 
because I think depending on how your business is running, you want to use a different one, but you better have a CRM, right? Even if it's the free version of something for a little while, okay. I think that it's the only way to make sure that you don't ever lose track of people. So an activity-based CRM, one that can actually put things in front of your face. So if you want to follow up with someone on Monday, you put it into your, right into the system, you log in every day, and then on Monday, it just shows up on your schedule, right? I think this is crucial. If you're not managing your leads in an efficient manner, then you're losing leads. I promise you. There's just no question. I don't care how great your note cards are. When, the, when technology is available to you and these things can just show up in front of your face, all human error disappears. I think it's also really important that people, uh, especially early on, that you don't be just using your cell phone and instead have a business line and have those calls being recorded. I think you need to go back and listen to yourself, right? You need to be able uh, to inspect what you're doing. So make sure that the systems are set up so that you can. You want to run your KPI reports, key performance indicators. You want to know how many leads came in, how many got converted. So make sure you have systems that make this easy for you, right? Um, so far as other technologies, I, that's going to be very specific for you, right? If you're wholesaling, make sure you have a website where you can actually post it and people can look at all the information and all the pictures and don't just send them an email with 30 attachments, right? Make sure you have a place to put the information. Um, it doesn't need to be fancy, but having it all easy for yourself, um, I think some of those things are, you know, crucial. Um, if you're going to be flipping houses, it, not just systems, but know a good contractor, right? I think depending, like I said, what you're doing, make sure you have the right systems and people in place too. Absolutely. And though all of that right there is, it's, it really is how you build a business that you have customers, CRM, customer uh, relationship manager. Um, don't trust yourself. You're a human. I'm like laughing at myself as I have like 50, 59 sticky notes on my desk that I have, has very useful information to some previous version of myself. And uh, I couldn't tell you what any of that means. Um, but that's, that's a me problem. But all of that and all of these experiences has now allowed you to become a full-time sales coach. Kind of like that moment when your friend brought that closing check. When did you realize you had the capacity and capability to train and help other people begin to have the same level of success that you've had? So that one actually, there's going to be two moments for this one. When I realized I might be able to do it was actually when I was, I was running a in-house sales stand-up meeting every single day. So the person who did land, the other acquisitions manager uh, for houses and all the people who actually spoke to customers every single day, eight o'clock, 15 minutes, sales stand up. I know that when you're working remotely like this, it's really, really easy to feel like you're on an island. So I had this set up and I joined a land sharks meeting once and I said, hey, if anybody wants to come to my sales powwow, just let me know. And Brent texted me immediately and he was like, oh, that was a bad idea. 
you're going to have all these guys wanting you to help them out. One person came. Alana. Hmm. Alana Cohen. Yeah, Alana. She's the only one that showed up. And I don't remember if it was a few weeks or a few months in. Um, I want to say it was maybe a month or two. She reached out to me to thank me for all the coaching she had gotten from me. And I was like, uh, you're welcome. Like, I, I didn't even know that I was actually like really coaching her because the sales stand up was meant to just get everybody to clock in for the day. Right. I didn't want everybody like to roll out of bed at noon and then finally get some calls in. Like, this is a business. We work nine to five. Let's get ready. Let's get to work. But apparently I had been teaching her how to be better at sales at the exact same time. And she called and she thanked me. And I was like, hmm. And so that was probably, I would say a good six months, actually, six to eight months before I actually launched my sales course. And then uh, I did the, I took the easy way out and I marketed my coaching to just all the land sharks, right? Everybody who had been listening to me talk for all, the, <laughs> all this time, I just did a slow rollout with it. And uh, somebody who had been in real estate for a very long time signed up for my class. And then at the end of it, he thanked me for all the things that I had taught him. That was when I actually believed it. So I didn't really believe it all the way when I launched my class. But then when, when Rob told me that I'd actually taught him something, that's when I truly believed it. Sure. Yeah, no, that that's awesome, and that's how you know. When I referred to you as a, a sales ma or negotiating master earlier, when you can teach other people, that's how you really know you know something, uh, regardless of the subject. But that's awesome. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But I, Mason, and I thought it would be fun to ask you, having done so many deals, what's the craziest real estate deal or scenario you've run across in any of these nasty old houses or apartments or Maybe it was a land deal, but what comes to mind there? Any crazy scenarios or cops involved or anything like that? I mean, I know that um, I know that Brent and uh, right when I first first joined the team, um, we were having to hire a lawyer to like go to a jail and meet with a guy <laughs> to actually sign the paperwork. Wow. Um, I mean, craziest stories. I, I mean, I know some crazy people. Um, I know one time I had to like mow a lady's lawn because her little dog couldn't get out into the grass to actually use the bathroom. So I mowed her lawn, uh, helped her pack her U-Haul. We made $793 on that deal. And she drove off without even saying goodbye. That was fun. Um, I think I found all the cockroaches that exist in Colorado in one house one time. Oh, man. Actually, that brings me to, uh, I, I do have a little bit of a superpower for this business. Um, I was born without a sense of smell. Mm, that's important. And yes, and so that, I, that, Brent couldn't even stand in that yeah. house, but I was just walking through it, just taking pictures. Like, I had no idea what was going on. Um, yeah, I called all the uh, roaches roommates Yikes. to all my buyers. <laughs> I was like, it comes complete with like a million roommates. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's been a lot of really, really interesting stories. We, we one time bought a piece of land for a, a six pack of beer. What, what yeah. did you sell for? Um, oh, I'd have to look that one up. Um, it wasn't a huge yeah. deal, probably something like, 
you know, probably something like ten or fifteen thousand dollars on payments or something. Sure. It's what probably kind of beer what we was did. It? Um, <laughs> like Pap, it's like Pap's new ribbon. It wasn't Go even figure. great beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like really cheap beer too. I was like, well, all right. Nothing like a <laughs> Um, yeah. I would say some crazy moments are uh, twice I asked people if I could buy their property for a dollar and uh, twice they said yes. That was, you know, lessons learned. If you don't ask, the answer is definitely no. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And what's the worst they're going to say if you do ask? No? <laughs> um, and there's been a lot of crazy ones, guys. There really has. Um we one time got a really good deal. Guy was asking almost he was asking like two point one million and uh it was able to negotiate him down to one point two and he agreed to take six hundred down and six hundred in one year with no payments and no interest. Wow. If I am gonna boast, I'll say that's my proudest negotiation was to get him almost half off when we're in the millions, and then get him to a no interest, no payments, half down, half later. That's probably my proudest moment. One of the one of the best things I've ever negotiated. Wow, and and I mean that right there is creative. It's different. Very few people would ever come up with that situation because I'm sure you heard no plenty of times whenever you were negotiating that deal. But all of this, all the whole culmination of experiences you've gotten from bartending to uh, doing all sorts of crazy real estate deals has allowed you to create this sales program that we got to speak a lot, speak about a little bit, but why don't we open this up for you to tell the listeners a little bit more about what sales the gen way looks like, uh, what you're offering to people and what your students have said, um, beyond, beyond the thank yous, but the, the really tangible skills that they've learned that you taught them. You know, when I was setting up my class, I, I thought a lot about all, um, the, the very minimal sales training that I ever got, even though I was in sales jobs, I hardly ever got trained how to get people to say yes. And even if I did, it was mostly just sitting there and watching some videos or reading some like 30,000 foot views, all the ideas around sales. But nobody ever actually said, okay, if somebody says this, you say this. And so I wanted to design a program that was going to be able to actively affect if they learn. Right. So the class itself is actually a 12 week program. It's called Sales the Gen Way, not just because I have an awesome name, Gen Way, but because I'm just a gen. I'm just a gen. There's nothing really special about me. It's just like average Joe sales, right? It's casual. It doesn't, it shouldn't feel like sales. It should feel like conversations. So 12 week class. Uh, every week, you get two hours from me. One hour is a group meeting. I only take five students in every group. So class sizes stay very, very small. So one hour a week, we meet as a group. And then one hour a week, we actually meet one-on-one. -on -one. This is the time for my students to be selfish. Bring leads to the conversations. Talk to me about real people. Let's figure out how to get them closed. And if you want to just practice something that we learned in class, let's do that. And I'm a big fan of role-playing. If you uh, wanna live in comfortable for the rest of your life, don't sign up for my class. I will make you uncomfortable. That's kind of the point, right? You need to make the mistakes now. You need to build that muscle memory right now. So when a million dollars is on the phone, you don't make that mistake then. 
So 12 weeks, two hours every week, uh, one hour group, one hour one-on-ones. And after the class is complete, you get an invitation to what I call the momentum group, which is just a weekly support call for everybody who's finished my class. We talk, we talk about those advanced deals, the creative financing things that we can put out there. Um, we talk more like next level sales in that group. That's amazing. That so much, it's so valuable. Jen, who's it for? Anybody that wants to be better at sales. Anybody that thinks they're not perfect yet. Anybody who's open to learning some new tactics and things that, you know, maybe you've heard some of this stuff before, but have you actually practiced it? Have you actually tried to use it? Have you actually worked on these things with someone? And then you asked another question earlier. I think for a lot of salespeople, like you can be good at this. But the question you asked earlier was, what are some of the things that my students have said after class? I think in order to be great at anything, that there needs to be structure, right? There needs to be a process. Tom Brady still practiced his fundamentals, right? He still did basic stuff. Pro athletes still do and run some of the same drills that they did in high school football. Because having this process and making sure that you don't lose sight of the basics, I think that's all very, very crucial to staying great at this, to not relaxing back into some old habits or whatever. So I think the number one thing that my students have told me is that they feel like they actually have structure. They know what the major categories in the call are, and they know to hit all of them. They know that it's a process through the call. Um, that and uh, getting over the, the fear, because we role play, right? Not being afraid to ask the hard questions. Those are probably the top two things that they say that they really felt like they came out of the class with. Heck yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like that. Sales the gen way. Really, you're just <laughs> learning how to communicate effectively and get to the root of the problem. Um, Jen, is there anything else you'd like to say here as we wrap up? No, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I've known both of you for a really long time. I, I mean, Mason, that, that Pueblo theater situation. I'll never forget that for the rest of my life, right? I learned so much oh, from yeah. Louie. Um, <laughs> and Dan. Oof. Oof. Oh, what a, what a guy. Anyways. <laughs> and Dan, um, I've known you for a long, long time too. Um, I, I feel like I've known you since you started in real estate. Yes. Uh, just about, it was about a, a little under a year in. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's been a true pleasure uh, to see both of you grow. Um, I got to tell you, I've had a couple of people call me and they're like, oh, I, Dan and Mason. And you guys are like how Brent is to me, like brothers, yeah. right? And I'm like, oh, they're yeah, they're great. And in my head, I'm like, these guys, <laughs> you know, but so excited to see how much success you've had. And I'm so happy to be able to be a part of it and support your podcast and if either of you ever needs anything from me, you know exactly where to call me. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Jen. And guys, check out Sales the Gen Way. I mean, I'm absolutely going to have my acquisition managers listen to this. I'm probably signing them up as well. So uh, we'll wrap up there for the big picture blueprint. Till next time, guys. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.